0: As I was getting ready for this morning, this week I thought of a particular movie scene that picks up what Isaiah is saying in the starkest images possible. I worked on it for a little bit, a couple hours maybe, Um, maybe not quite that long, but trying to edit it down to where I felt I could use it on a Sunday morning. But the images are just too stark. The contrast that Isaiah is making here was just too visual. And I didn't think it would be appropriate for a Sunday morning. The scene is from the movie The Godfather. The Godfather series is considered one of the best series of movies ever produced. Probably the strongest of those movies was the first one. The story of Michael—I oh, was name just went on my mind—Colerone, thank you. And how he begins the movie not wanting to be a part of the Mafia family, Corleone family. But by the time you get to the very end, he is fully involved. The scene that I was trying to use is, if you've seen the movie, if you watch it, watch it on television, not the unedited version. But... Towards the end of the movie, there is a baptism scene in which Talia, Michael Corleone's sister, is baptizing her baby. And the godfather is Michael Corleone. As you watch the scene, it's filled with pomp and And the ceremony, and in this particular case, it's in a a Roman Catholic church, so there is the Latin Mass that is being spoken as this baby is being baptized. Michael Corleone is standing there as the baptism is taking place, and the organ is playing, and the priest is speaking, and there's... All the different symbols. The ritual involved that it is heavy and steeped with meaning. And then the priest turns to Michael Corleone and says, Do you believe in God and in Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the Trinity? Do you believe in the Catholic Church? As he is being asked those questions, in the movie, the scene flashes from this ritual, this religious activity, this promise of believing in God and in truth. And each time he speaks, the scene flashes to one of his men preparing to commit murder as he wipes out all of the other mafia families. It continues with the ritual and then it gets to the high point of this incredible contrast between ritual And religious activity and the reality of this man's heart. As the priest turns to Michael Corleone and says. Do you renounce the ways of Satan? And he says. I do. And the movie switches. To his hunchman holding a shotgun. And killing all the people inside of an elevator. Do you promise to live righteously? In accordance to the teaching of the Catholic Church? I do. As his henchmen pull a pistol and shoots a man laying on a table and a shotgun of a couple laying in bed. Are you willing to be baptized in the church? And Michael Corleone says yes. And the scene switches to the final murder scene. And then, it comes to an end the priest says go in peace and the scene shifts to the dead bodies strewn in different situations and as they're exiting the church and all the celebration and the rejoicing of this baptism of this little one and the declaration of him as the Godfather. His lead henchman comes up and whispers in his ear it's done. It is one of the most magnificent cinematic poignant scenes in any movie. But it is exactly what Isaiah is talking about in Isaiah chapter 58. Now, that would be the the most stark possible example of one who is proclaiming this religious ritual and then is having people killed. But the theme of the Godfather movie and the theme of Isaiah chapter 58 is exactly the same. That religious activity, that ritual activity, that spiritual activity in and of itself means nothing. And at worst... While at best, it is meaningless. At worst, it is personally destructive. And as you watch the Godfather series, if you watch all three movies, the third movie is all about Michael Corleone seeking redemption, which he never finds. Seeking God's favor, which he never finds. Seeking God's blessing, which he never finds. Now, I doubt if any of us here, while we're sitting in church and we're singing those choruses, have any of our henchmen out killing our rivals. If you are, come speak to me, please. As long as it's not me. But that idea of just ritual, with no life to back it up, is a struggle we all have. Not to the point of Corleone, but often like the church at Corinth. Or often like the Pharisees of Matthew and Luke. You see, there's nothing wrong with ritual. There's nothing wrong with doing those things that represent the truth of the new covenant and the life that we live in Christ. The whole Old Testament is filled with examples of what God called His people to do to represent that old covenant that they lived under. And now that we live under the new covenant... What we do as we gather together is to be a reflection of that. We partake of communion next week. Why? Because it represents the body and the blood of Christ that is part of the new covenant. We come together and we sing these incredible songs and these, and these, these hymns. Why? Because they proclaim the reality of the relationship that is ours in Christ. We pray, we stand when we sing. Why? Because it reminds us of eternity when when we seek to worship God, we will stand together with the multitude of God's people. But if it's just ritual, at best it's meaningless. At worst it's destructive. Isaiah has been developing for us what it means to be a servant of God. He gave us the bad examples in those first 39 chapters. And even the best example, Hezekiah, couldn't live up to it. Beginning in Isaiah 40 through Isaiah 55, you remember, he talked of the coming, the the suffering servant (coughs) who would make possible Our ability to serve God standing in the righteousness He provided through His death. And as we began Isaiah chapter 56, the question became, if we have been qualified to be God's servants through the death of His ultimate servant and our faith in accepting what He accomplished, how should we then live? How should we then worship? What should be the focus of our lives? We'll see that in a few weeks when we get into particular Isaiah chapter 60. Last week, Isaiah said, when it comes to worship, remember worship is not about you, it's about God. Don't treat God in worship like an idol where somehow my worship is seen as me bringing the right formula or the right talisman or the right whatever in order to get God to do. Worship is about a declaration of God's greatness and goodness. So as we come together, we come together with a desire to want to proclaim that, to hear that, to be reminded of that. God. When Isaiah comes to Isaiah chapter 59, he's going to take it a step farther and he's going to say this. It's not just about what you do when you come together. It's about the reflection and impact of this when you scatter and when you live your life. And so in Isaiah chapter 58, what Isaiah is proclaiming is this, authentic worship. True worship. Coming together in those rituals, nothing wrong with the ritual, but when it is done properly, moves God to bless His people. That's not why we do it, but that is one of the results. God is pleased. God is thrilled. God is blessed. When his children worship him. You see, authentic worship moves God to bless his people. Rituals don't. If you've come here this morning thinking that if I check off the box of going to church, if I check off the box of singing the hymns and choruses, if I check off the box of whatever it might be, I have my devotions this week, I can check off that box and think that in the checking off of the box that that's what God desires. It's not. Yes, he will accept those things, but if they reflect the reality of our lives not as a means of manipulation. What Isaiah is going to teach us as you begin reading this section is this. A properly performed ritual without goodness in your life ain't worship. if this event isn't reflected in your life, if this event doesn't impact your life as you go out and live, something's wrong and it's not worship. And so what he begins to do, Isaiah takes the people and he says, let's take a look at your ritual." In that case, it was bringing of the sacrifices. It was fasting. It was setting aside the Sabbath. It was going to the temple. It was those things. For us, it's our prayers and our Bible reading and our going to church and our, our giving of our, our money to, 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 for the Lord's purposes. And let's take a look at that. And so in Isaiah chapter 58, as he begins to talk about his people, One point real quick. I want you to notice chapter 58 and verse 1 and chapter 58 and verse 14. Because Isaiah introduces and ends this passage to say, please, please listen. Nowhere else is there in all of Isaiah, even in all of Scripture, this sense of intensity When he says, shout it out loud, do not hold back, literally the idea is open your throat and and just yell it at the top of your lungs to the point that it wears out your voice. Like you yell at a football game when you want everyone to know Be the shofar, the trumpet, the the ram's horn that says, listen, this is important. This is is dangerous if we miss it. And he ends by saying the mouth of the Lord. The same word for that opening of your throat in in verse 1 mouth of the Lord declares this. What does he want us to know? Ritual isn't enough. He says to them, you know, on the outside, it all looks good. And let's face it, we really work hard at looking good when we come together, don't we? I don't care how much you were fighting in the car when you were coming. When you walked in the door, you went like this. Good to see you. Nice to see you. How bad the struggles were this week. You have a tendency when you walk in that door to, how you doing? Oh, fine. I'm not necessarily condemning that. That's sure that... When you walk in the back and somebody says, how are you doing? You go, oh, this was a miserable week. This was so terrible. My wife and I were fighting. I'm not saying that's how we do that. Maybe eventually. But it looks so good on the outside. That's what he says. He says, for day after day they, they seek me out. Verse 2 of 58. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right. And has not forsaken the commands of the Lord. They they ask for just decisions. They are just so eager. Look at how good they are. To look at Michael Carleone in the midst of the church, you would say, wow. Looks so good. But God says, I have a problem. Because I know how you acted during the week. I know how you treated your coworkers. I know how you treated your children. And I know how you treated your wife, your husband. I know how you treated that businessman that you owed this much, but found a way to just pay this much. He says, though it looks good on the outside, the focus of this time is, is not on God. There is a real need when we're involved in worship, whether it's our personal worship, that time we spend sort of celebrating or crying out or whatever it may be to the Lord, or whether it's this, that our focus not be just on us and not on us, but that our focus be on the Lord that we we set aside some of those concerns in our worship. We set aside all of the, the 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 weight and the 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 difficulty of our lives and say God, for just these few moments, I'm going to focus on your greatness and be reminded of your greatness. And that's what he says there's a very interesting oh, there's, there's a very interesting phrase that he uses and the NIV translates it well. But in verse, the middle of verse 3, he says, you know, you have these fasts, you're doing all this, you're, 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 you're putting on sackcloth and you're, you're sitting in sadness and you're not eating. But he says, yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. Literally, the phrase is, all you're concerned about is your affairs, The word please there is sort of your activities, your affairs. It can even mean your business. You're not coming focused on God. You're not gathered. You're not fasting to focus on him. Everything else invades. God says, when you come to worship me, Worship is a focus on God. It is a time to think about his greatness, his work, his mercy, his kindness, his holiness. Not what happened during the week in the sense of I have to worry about this, I have to worry about that, I have to worry about this, I have to worry about that. No, about God. He goes on to say, the evidence of that is, while you're here fasting, you're so self-focused that you're willing to use others. And the example he uses there is, you're here in our fast, but while you're doing that so you don't lose out on anything, you're exploiting your workers. You're using them, and the idea is make up the time that you've lost in your fast It's all about them they're so self-focused that even as they're coming to fast to worship, they're using others exploiting them. He says that their self-focus is evidence in their willingness to attack and abuse others. Even as they're fasting, as soon as it's over, they go up and they whack someone. Now, I don't think any of us are going to leave here and walk out that door and hit anybody. At least not with our fists. Maybe with our words. Maybe with our indifference maybe with our ignoring. We get so caught up in my affairs that we fail to focus upon God. Glorifying and praising and honoring and accepting His forgiveness and His mercy. You see, it looked good on the outside, but The goodness was gone as soon as they stopped their fasting. The Pharisees had this problem. Matthew 23, verses 23 through 26. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spice, mint, dill, cumin. You know, cumin's that yellow powder thing. Imagine trying to, you know, what's one-tenth? You're fastidious in your rituals. It looks so good. But you're not good. You have neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Then he picks it up again. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. He's coming and saying to the Pharisees, where's your goodness? Ritual worship without a life of goodness and care for others is not worship. Blind Pharisees, first clean the outside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Or first clean the inside of the cup and dish. And then the outside will be clean. Be good. Be righteous in your life. Seek to care and love others. And as that becomes the focus, then the worship is truly pleasing and acceptable to God. In the context of the church, I hear in 1 Corinthians that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. Oh, it looks like it, but it's not. Why? For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. There's no kindness, no goodness. One remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink like that? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? So arrogant. Where's the goodness? Where's the kindness? Where's the righteousness? What shall I say? Shall I praise you for this? Absolutely not. But I went to church on Sunday. I read my Bible. I taught Sunday school class. Sorry, discovery. I did all those things. Yeah, it looked good on the outside. But those who will worship me, God says, treat others with kindness and goodness. And you see, ritual worship is not just worthless. It's counterproductive. And that's where Isaiah goes next. After he says, these are the things that you do, he then begins to say to them, you know, this is going to cause problems. He says, first of all, that ritual worship without goodness fails to please God. In fact, the NIV and its translation, and this is a good translation, it misses some of the the nuance. Because Isaiah says, you know, you do all this to do your own affairs, to please yourself. And then he actually uses that word for please or a root of that, that one when he talks about is this the kind of fast I have chosen that I, have, I am pleased with is the idea? Is this what you call a fast, a day acceptable, literally pleasing to the Lord? It's not. God says worship without goodness, ritual without goodness. It just doesn't please me. but also it's destructive. Ritual without goodness hinders God's response to our prayers. He says, can I listen to you when it's just ritual with no impact on your life? And he warns them that the problem, the reason why God is unable to hear, is because though outwardly it looks good, inwardly you're thumbing your nose at him. James said it, or Peter said it this way, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate, be kind, be good as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. I'm not going to get into the theology of that. But just to say, what Peter is saying is, if you're not willing to treat your family with kindness and goodness, it's going to hinder your prayers. If you don't treat people in a way that that is kind, your, your worship, not only is it worthless, it's destructive. it's offensive and then finally ritual worship without goodness hinders god's blessing there was a phrase that i hear every so often that we used with our children it was something like this please stop your whining because your whining will not get what you want And if you keep whining, you will face consequences. God says, stop this ritualistic stuff. I cannot respond to it. The reason the parent says that is they're saying, I don't want to respond to that which is not good. And if it continues out of love for you, I will will need to bring some consequence. The reality is that this is all done with arrogance. There's no willingness to look at the heart. No willingness to look at, at righteousness. No willingness to look at Am I living out what I proclaim? Or am I being hypocritical? We're going to see later that God says, you know... I understand we all struggle with this. And if you come to me in humility, if you come to me in brokenness, if you come to me in a sense of repentance and saying, God, I struggle with this, but I pray that you would allow your spirit to bring change in my life. Show me where I'm wrong. Let me be repentant to you and to others where I fail. God says, I honor that. But if there's this arrogance that says, God, I've checked off the box. Now you owe me. God says, I find that so distasteful. So. And what he says, and we don't have time to look at, but if you look at Isaiah 59, 9 through 14, you'll find out what it is that they're longing for God to do, and it's good things. God, bring justice. Bring a sense of your presence. God, bring us an awareness that you're working in our lives. God, will you do these things? And God is saying, I long to do it. Come to me in brokenness and repentance and humility and a desire to want to serve others and to love others and to demonstrate my relationship with you in your life. But I cannot support your pride, and your arrogance, and your manipulation. I cannot. You see, ritual without goodness is not simply ineffective. It can be harmful to our spiritual lives. I've known many who have known the Lord for a long time and walked with him. And oh, they looked so good and they could teach Sunday school so well. And and I say Sunday school because it wasn't here. But yet they were terrible people. And there was always a sense that there was something missing in their lives. You see, God then comes and says, you know, true worship flows out of and into a commitment to goodness. When I gather together here and I seek to... Praise the Lord, it flows out of the goodness of my weak. It flows out of my love for others. It flows out of my brokenness and my repentance. It flows out of all of that as I come to God and say, God, thank you for loving me even in the midst of my struggles. God, thank you for your grace and your kindness. Thank you for showing me your presence. God, thank you for all of those things. Thank you that if I have nothing to thank you for, you still accept me and love me. And my worship flows out of that individual interaction during the week. But then it also flows back in as I see you all, all y'all, singing those choruses. And I watch the people up front and I, I see the, the sincerity that they seem to have and the life that I know in, in, that they live. And I say, you know, Lord... Thank you for that example. Ultimately, it's in Christ. But thank you for the ways they demonstrate it or you demonstrate it. And so not only does it flow out of that which I've done during the week, but it flows back in. That's what Isaiah does. And again, we don't have a lot of time, but what Isaiah says is it flows out of and into a desire to seek justice for the oppressed. He says, those that are oppressed, those that that are suffering, worship should flow out of and into a growing desire to find ways in my life to be able to do that, to demonstrate that. I don't know politically what we need to do with our immigration system. That's beyond my pay grade. But I do know this, that if the Lord brings into my life somebody who is in need, whatever the situation, God says, seek justice for the oppressed, for the wanderer, for the one in need. What may be the political response? I don't know but I know what God calls of me individually and calls us as a church. It flows out of and into a desire to provide for those in need. Again, I'm not sure what you do with the person that knocks on your door and is begging by the street. Whether I don't, I don't think cash is a good thing. If you have a McDonald's gift certificate or something like that, those are good things but at least show respect. At least treat them like a human being. Those that are in need, whether it be in your family or your neighborhood, there there may be some difficulty in knowing how to respond, but God says, where is the goodness that flows out to those that are in need? That's what true worship looks like. That's what James says. And again, you can, you can read these in the passage as you read through them. He says it flows out of and into a desire to seek the elimination of strife. Paul said, There's division among you. How can you be worshiping ritually God and there's this kind of arguing and quarreling and strife and striking? And it's wrong. I believe that one of the things that hinders the church more than anything from growing and developing and, and people growing in their spiritual life is the, the way that we treat other believers. The disrespect, the gossip, the, the storytelling. It's just wrong. God says, don't do that, choose the opposite. And then finally, when he talks about the Sabbath and keeping the Sabbath, I don't believe we're under the Sabbath laws in the new covenant. I believe we're under a, a law that says, not a law, but a, a, a task that says at all times have that ability to set aside, to focus upon God. But when he's talking there, is he's saying, live your life in a way that reflects the covenant, the relationship that we have. Believers ought to be the most winsome people. We ought to be the kindest people. Wise, yes, but kind. Good. And through that and in that, God is worshipped. You see, God says, true worship moves me. Take some time this afternoon if you have it. Read through Isaiah chapter 58 and circle all the thens. What God says, if you choose a life of goodness and grace, if you choose a life of kindness and caring about others, then, It moves me to bless you. Not with a bigger car, not with a bigger house. But with a greater sense of his presence. Of a greater sense of impacting the world for his kingdom. Of a greater sense of being those that demonstrate the love of God. And in such a way that people are drawn to it. God says if we worship God, not in ritual, but in true worship, then, 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 God is moved. If there's an emptiness of God's movement in your life, if there's an emptiness of God's movement in our congregation, in our family, God says, take a look. It may be a dry spell. Those happen. But take a look. Is it just ritual? Or is it true worship? That flows out of and into a life of goodness. Father, thank you for the passage in Isaiah that reminds us that we will fall short as your servants. But it reminds us also that as we respond in repentance and brokenness and humility, as we seek to be people who are kind and good and righteous and reflecting you in our lives, that that will change both the tenor and the impact of our worship. Father, worship begins with a relationship with you through accepting what your son accomplished through the giving of his life. Lord, always we invite anyone who's not certain of that relationship to come and speak to somebody about it. Father, those of us who are sure of that relationship, help us to be people who worship you well, not in ritual, but in and through and out of the goodness you call us to live in our relationships with you and with others. Father, we thank you for what that will mean, for your glory and for your kingdom. And we pray it all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.